Calling all benders and non-benders alike. Jump into the epic world of Avatar with your favorite podcast, Avatar, Braving the Elements. Hosted by me, Janet Varney. And me, Dante Bosco. Each week we'll recap and discuss a new episode. So come join us and our amazing guests from creators to cast to superfans to chat about all things Avatarverse. It's Fire Nation time. Book of Fire. Let's go. Listen to Avatar Braving the Elements wherever you get your podcasts. The Last Kids on Earth and their superhero alter egos are back in the latest installment of the graphic novel spinoff series, The Last Comics on Earth, Too Many Villains. Jack, June, Quint, and Dirk face their biggest challenge yet, creating the sequel to their hit graphic novel in a mad dash, puzzle-filled race across Apocalyptia to stop the biggest evil plan in history. Hey, you know what the creators of Last Comics on Earth's evil plan is? Make me and my kids love these books. Seriously, my younger kid is a huge fan of both the Last Kid series and the Last Comic series. It's true. And now I'm hooked too. The whole team has created a delightful cast of characters with some fantastic kid-friendly art throughout that will appeal to readers of all ages. Buy your copy of The Last Comics on Earth in stores today. You can also visit lastkidsonearth.com to learn more. up, everybody? Welcome to The Stack. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. I'm Pete. And on The Stack, we talk about a bunch of books that have come out this very week, specifically comic books, not yes. regular wordy words. We're going to cover all of the novelizations <laughs> of all of your favorite films on today's The Stack. Yeah. No, we Little Monsters. We're going to start with that. Definitely. And of course, all the political uh, books coming out because it is an election year. Yeah. Have you read Ross Perot's book yet? Yep. That's a fresh take. Is he, I think, is he alive? <laughs> yeah, I don't I, think he's... Oh, did he die? I don't know. Today? Oh, jeez. Wow. Oh, R.I.P. The God, Ross Perot, well, king of the 1992 election. Well, I, I'll tell you what. I'm going to say skip Ross Perot's book. <laughs> wow. Okay. Because <laughs> it's not written and he's dead. Yeah, there we go. Uh, but here's a book that was written and is very much alive. Giant Size X-Men, number one from Marvel Comics, written by Jonathan Hickman and art by Russell Dodderman. This is taking place in the new continuity where the X-Men are living on the island nation of Krakoa. And this uh, tees off something that happened very early in the X-Men run, where the X-Men uh, went and attacked sort of this like machine nation type thing. Mm. Uh, Storm is now back. She's not feeling that well. So Jean Grey and Emma Frost go into her mind to find out what's going on and lead to some big potential things for the X-Men. But mainly, this is an awesome showcase for Russell Dodderman. Yes. So this is a almost wordless uh book. Which uh, I appreciate. You did, yeah, because you hate words, yep. even the ones I'm saying uh-huh. right now. True. Uh, the thing is, uh, with this, is it's bo- it's sold, it was sold to me anyway, as a Emma Jean Grey confrontation emotional issue. Oh, how is it sold to you like that? It, it was like giant size X-Men, Jean Grey, White Queen, like, they have shit to work out sure. because of uh, Cyclops. There's a love triangle years ago. They're all aware of it. Right. Yeah, uh, but now and, they're all boating. Well, uh, yeah, it, I know. Wait, but I, that's... Uh, uh, in the start of the book, it starts off with they're about to go in, and then uh, Jean Grey stops, kisses uh, Wolverine, and then goes in. Doesn't even look in Scott's direction. Yeah, because it's his turn. 
That's well again. He I, gets Tuesdays and Thursdays. I brought this up, uh, I think, on the last stack podcast. <laughs> Saturdays as well. Where I was like, we're not, we're not uh, given access to any of the emotional underpinnings of any of the X Men stories, and this is another example of that. Where we see this little scene where Jean kisses Wolverine, and you're like, what's the deal? No, what but, is the deal? And Cyclops and Wolverine have a little scene where it's like we're buddies, right? Uh, that was uh, X Men Seven, right? Oh, maybe that's true. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we could talk about that. That's yeah. fine. Uh, but yeah, it's the same sort of thing where they're like, hey, we're going to go hang out and go on vacation. Wolverine's like genie in a bikini and Scott's like Scotty in a Speedo. Yeah, yeah and it's just like, what? That doesn't weird. rhyme. It doesn't rhyme, which is the big problem there. I, I, My big weird problem with Giant Size X-Men is Jean Grey's in her X-Men Red costume. <laughs> Instead okay. of the classic uh, Jean Grey costume that she's been in inexplicably since this reboot. I think they can wear whatever they want. Yeah? I don't mind. They have different costumes in their in their closet. No, we wear the same clothes every day. That's <laughs> true. That is our standard uniform. And our I'll tell updated... you what, they're starting to get skin tight. Yeah, <laughs> true. Oh, because we're getting so muscular. Right, exactly. We're working out while we're doing it. Because this. we're on missions all the time. People Pod- don't get to see that. Podcasting we're lifting. Missions. We exactly. are lifting while we're doing Yeah, for this. those of you not uh, in our st- studio, it's a gym. And right. we are always a danger room. And that's why uh, between uh, us talking, if you hear anybody going, <sighs> that's what's going on. It's because we're working. tired from working out, not from <laughs> sitting still and talking into a microphone. Because <laughs> we're physically fit. Uh, uh, yeah. The thing, uh, so, but what I'm saying, that's a very nitpicky complaint. Um, this book, is I, it? I thought it, it technically, yes. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> uh, I would defy anyone to draw us the X-Men Red. I mean, uh, there's something going on in there. Uh, I, my point is, I thought this was going to be something completely different than what it was. Right. Not that I'm complaining, because it was a beautiful, beautiful issue. Beautiful uh, issue. But again, and also big reveal that Storm's a robot. She has a uh, she has a machine virus, and almost she like a has techno organic virus, right? Pretty and sure. she has thirty days. Yeah, I'm pretty sure she's a robot. She, I read uh, the comic. It was a it was a dream state. There's also little hints of Black Panther throughout the dream state. It goes through Storm's history in a very nice, subtle way throughout, which I really liked a lot. It was cool. Um, it is interesting. I haven't read ahead with the publishing plans, so I don't know if it's like quarterly giant size X-Men or anything like that. Yeah. But it did feel like this is a very nice art showcase that is otherwise a regular sized X-Men. Yeah. And, and even beyond that, this felt like giant size X-Men Storm. Right. W- featuring Jean Grey and White Queen. Yes, yeah. that is true. And so it, that's it what really, I felt deceived by. It really was giant size X-Men. Hey, check out this sick art, man. Uh, that's a longer title. Harder sure. to solicit. Uh, it doesn't really fit on a marquee necessarily. Well, can we talk about the uh, the way the like the animals were and their eyes lined up? That was really crazy. That's even more. That's a nitpicky compliment. Yeah, it, <laughs> it was really. I don't know. Like, I love comics where the eyes line up with yeah. the animals. Yeah. Right, you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. You know it happens I mean. a lot in many comics. Pete well, got a got a velvet poster of a kitty that just follows him everywhere. Yeah, the yeah. eyes are always meeting. Always. Him. Oh, and were you tripping balls when you read this? <laughs> yeah. 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 I was tripping my face off, but I really did uh, like how. Although the eyes I didn't up. get as many uh, things answered as I would have liked. I thought it was really well done, very artistically driven, and I can appreciate that, even though I'm a little frustrated with, I want to know what's happening. I, I yeah. will. Uh, one interesting thing that's been happening, and I know we're still very relatively early in this new continuity for X-Men, but it feels like there's so much setup. It feels like you're listening to a teapot, and you're at the point where it's like, but it hasn't 
at you, the steam hasn't poured out yet? What a fucking old man way of referring to something. You know what, Here's the most like... relevant music I can listen oh, to. I'm sorry. The sound of a teapot getting ready to boil over. It's oh, I'm sorry. Of... Here, uh, I'll, I'll do something you can relate to. It's like when you're in the club, man, and like the EDM music is playing, and it's like... They haven't hit the drop yet. Oh, they haven't the hit the drop, drop yet. I mean, that is what I... Uh, I think that sure. is a better analogy. <laughs> I, I was thinking uh, maybe a better analogy is like when you first take your dentures out and you put them right <laughs> into the... Yeah. And the fix-a-dent is... It's cleaning it, but it's not clean yet. So yeah. you can't put them back in. And you're hungry for the oatmeal, very spicy meal you have planned. Sure. Ooh, no your, thanks. Your 4 p.m. oatmeal. Uh, is I, it breakfast yeah. or dinner? Nobody if I knows. have oatmeal at 4 p.m., I'm going to be sick all evening. I'm never going to fall asleep. Um, oh, my God. My stomach can't Alex's old man analogy uh, aside, I agree with you. It, what... We know this is a long run of X-Men, but also I we really... need to hear the stories being told now. Right. And it does feel like we're on this elaborate build toward uh, something that we don't know when or where the, the climax. Hickman. And, but I, I disagree with that because I do think uh, Hickman's stuff did have smaller payoffs as it built the ladder. This one definitely feels like across all the titles, it's building towards something, and we don't know when the release is. Wake, wake me when we get to something. Wake well, me up. I, I, before I will... This is how I've been feeling. I will say we're going to talk towards the end of the stack about X-Men number seven, yeah. which I do think... It. He did an X-Men sandwich. He did an there X-Men sandwich. First and last. It's an X sandwich. And he's going to sink his dentures into the <laughs> later on, as soon as they're clean. Won't be able to sleep, though. Uh, but I do think that does deliver on what we're talking about a little bit, but I think we need that stuff more frequently because we, yeah. for every one thing we get, there's 17 things that are being set up. Yes, I agree. It's starting to get pretty annoying. Uh, speaking of set up, let's talk about Leviathan Dawn, number one from DC Comics, written by Brian Michael Bendis and art by Alex Maleev. This is following directly on Event Leviathan, the big event that uh, they were doing. Featuring Leviathan. Di- featuring Leviathan. Where we found out who and Leviathan was. Yes, and as we know, uh, the DC Comics world is a land of many contrasts. Thank you for listening to my book report on Event <laughs> Leviathan. Wow, truth. Uh, no, so we found out about this. Uh, Leviathan was secretly Manhunter, a.k.a. Mark Shaw. Uh, Mark he, Shaw. Uh, disabled oh, all of the spy organizations in the DC universe, consolidated them under him with the promise of creating a new world, almost revealed all of the secrets in the world until he was stopped by none other than Lois Lane, publishing a sweet expose in the Daily Planet. Uh, and now they're reeling from that and getting everything back together. This is what I wanted Event Leviathan to be. Really? Interesting. This I title, was hoping, this start here. I was really hoping it was going to be about Mark's brother, Rick. Rick, Rick Shaw. Shaw. I get what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> Woo! Denture jokes all day. Uh, <laughs> uh, Pete, great job. Take the rest of the episode off. Oh, thanks, Vin. Nap time. Uh, <laughs> I... Interesting that you think that because this to me, the first half of this felt like um, a story where it's like, remember when we revealed that shit? Crazy, right? And then it was like just chatting about how cool the thing they just did was. only when it got to setting up this new Checkmate was I super excited. Yeah. So this first really? issue is about... I like Checkmate. Checkmate's great. Really? Uh, it's about yeah. setting up a new Checkmate. It's on the other end of the spectrum. Uh, Leviathan makes a big move uh, towards legitimacy in the eyes of the world. Uh, so we have this conflict set up, and I think even if it's a precursor to a Checkmate series, 
this is what I was waiting for. Like the re- the event Leviathan felt like who's Leviathan? Who's Leviathan? Who's Leviathan? That's all we got going here. This feels like a legitimate conflict between two burgeoning spy organizations, and that's much more exciting to me. Yeah, I don't know. There was a point where they were just sitting around going like, all right, what are we going to do now? I don't know if I want to be here. All right, well, somebody kill that guy. All right, let's uh, figure this out. I do think to to Pete's point, and sort of the criticism we were talking about about the X-Men universe, this is sort of similar where it's like moving a ton of tiny pieces one little step forward each issue as opposed to sort of classic comic book storytelling is large arcs that sort of move uh, quickly and heighten very quickly and then finish and then start over again. This is like building toward a very wide, long arc. Yeah. Uh, and it's just a different type of storytelling. And I feel like I want some more big swings. All right. Well, we'll see what happens. Moving on to a new book from Dark Horse Comics, Hidden Society, number one. The script is by Raphael Scavone and the art by Raphael Albuquerque. Love um, him. Oh, love yeah. Him. We love the Kirky. Yeah. Uh, so good. Uh, definitely, I should have written this down, but definitely a different sort of inking than his usual work on, mm-hmm. say, American Vampire yes. and things like that. Uh, it feels a little Blue thicker, a little more fleshed out. Yeah. It reminds me of Fables mm-hmm. uh, a little bit, sort of a little more storybook inking yeah. style. Uh, uh, so this is... A exactly what you think from the title. It's about uh, a hidden world of magic that is going on in the background. Some new characters end up in this hidden world of magic. Um, I thought it was cute. (laughs) (laughs) What? Your voice got real high. It sounds like you're lying. I don't know. I think Alex really liked this book. Based on he said it was cute. Yeah, it's cute. Um, So I liked it. I thought it was a solid first issue, really setting up the world, kind of setting up what's going on here. I think they did a great job of getting you excited for more to see how the story moves forward. Um, There's a magician in this book who makes the Brooklyn Bridge disappear. Yeah. Yeah. Which is cool. Very similar to David Copperfield, who made the Statue of Liberty disappear. Right. Uh, David Copperfield made me disappear when I was five years old. Have I ever told you that? Oh, you never mentioned that before. I was like, where is he going with this? Oh, right. (laughs) It's all part of a very good review of this comic. Right, right, right. Uh, Yeah, yeah, the the kid reminds me of like... Oh, I'm sorry. Oh. No, I'm sorry. Please, Pete, go ahead. Uh, other than your Copperfield plug, did you have any thoughts on the actual no, book? I just want to mention you, what just happened here. That was like uh, the other day. Pete and I were at the buffet at around 4.30, <laughs> and the last prunes were there. Oh, We both went up at the same yeah. time. I was like, oh, excuse me. And he was like, oh, excuse me. And Pete ultimately ate the prunes. Yeah, well, yeah. Crazy. shat his pants all over the place. What's crazy <laughs> is awful. 4.30, prime time. You're going to run out of prunes? What kind of restaurant are you? Uh, this is a, a cruise ship restaurant, clearly. <laughs> uh, I'm clearly your nephew or grandson has gone on vacation with his two grandfathers. Right. It's like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, except there's no fucking golden ticket. Right. We fall asleep at 6 p.m. You sneak out, get your first kiss. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's what happens on the cruise, baby. And that's apparently our review of Hidden Society number one. Let's move on talk about Falcon and Winter Soldier number one from Marvel Comics, written by Derek Lando and art by Federico Vincentini. Uh, so this is exactly what you think. It's Falcon. It's Winter Soldier. Clearly to have something on the stats for the Disney Plus series hits, which is fine, uh, but it's a fun pairing. And it feels like this is what this, the TV show might be like, where mm-hmm. you have Falcon being like, hey, let's play this straight. 
and Winter Soldier being like, I kill people yeah, whenever I want. Yeah. Fuck people up. Come on. Yeah. Um, I like this quite a bit. It felt like it was picking up on Matthew Rosenberg's, uh, was it Tales of Suspense, the one that uh, paired together Hawkeye and Winter Soldier? I think you're correct. Uh, sure. Which was super fun. There's references there. They ask about Hawkeye. They slag him off a little bit. Uh, but one thing... This is a weird thing to pick out, but that I like quite a bit as a storytelling technique. There were time dashes in here where I feel like too often comic books just go scene, 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 scene. We're going straight forward. Yeah. Here there was like there was good comedic timing where they leave off a scene, clearly cut forward in time and then pick it up on the next page, which I thought was a, a nice from the writing perspective. And there's some other fun stuff like uh, Winter Soldier saying uh, Robot Arm Club uh, yeah. that moment like. It was sort of a, a classic, straightforward uh, superhero team up. We have two different styles about doing this, and uh, we're going to have to get along. The old odd couple. Odd couple. Uh, but there were some fun notes here, and I do like uh, both these characters. The villain's also pretty good as well. Yeah. It's a fun villain. Yeah, the art's great. A lot of great action. Uh, the lady's hungover is fun. Oh, yeah. She can't deal with it. It's hard to deal when you're hungover. Uh, yeah. I feel like this is a fun start to hopefully a great series. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> great. Uh, let's move on to an image comic book, Ice Cream Man, number 18, oh, written by shit. W. Maxwell Prince and art by Martin, um, excuse me, Martin Morazzo. Uh, this, of course, is one of our absolute favorite books here uh. on the podcast. Every issue is, is sort of its own independent tale with a very dark twist, usually. Uh, some of them tie it very casually into an overall narrative. This is, I think, one of those one-shots. Yes, Pete, you have a question. Right I have on. a question for both of you guys. Yeah, yes. what up? Uh, this is, we're kind of far into this story. I keep thinking, like, okay, I understand what's happening now. This next issue, will I'll it's be able to really follow and really it understand it. It's not going to throw me for a loop this time because I spent too much time with this comic, and I like it too much to get thrown every single issue. And you got thrown again. Yeah. You got bucks right off that Bronco. It's funny. This is, I have the complete opposite feeling that I have from X-Men about this, where it's like, take as long as you want, buddies. <laughs> Just keep going with it. It's all good. Give me no answers. I'm fine with that. Uh -huh. Yeah, we've really got nothing. And then when we thought we had well, something. Well, I, I want to say, I mean, specifically to talk about this issue, I thought this was phenomenal. Like, this so is one of. Good, heartbreaking, the, so sad. So, this is to give you, give you the setup of it. Uh, there is a guy, he's clearly uh, towards the end of his life, suffering from dementia or Alzheimer's or something like that. He's forgetting things, and he's picturing it as a goblin coming into his mind gremlin. and taking a gremlin, gremlin. excuse me. Yeah. Uh, sorry, throwback to the classic Twilight Zone episode. Yes. Uh, uh, stealing all of his memories, so you have this weird, upsetting, supernatural thing going on. Uh, but ultimately, it just ties into his relationship with his family, with his son and daughter, who he has damaged in different ways. He himself was damaged by his parents. So it is the cycle of not even abuse, but just being a family that's drifted down through time. It's a very powerful, beautifully done issue. Yeah, it's, and this issue, the tragedy is just the way people treat each other, especially yeah. specifically in families, and the supernatural aspect is just the natural progression of life. And the it's what uh, the writing in all each of these issues is so smartly done. There's little ticks and little stylistic differences in each issue, in this one as well. They are so smart and just make for a one of a kind story experience. One of the best comics on the stand. It's it's 
creepy, it's amazing, it's heartfelt, and it's also, I mean, as parents, you guys got to be afraid that, you know, maybe at the end of your life, someone might just be like, you know what, fuck you, dad. You know what I mean? Like That's, that's not what other kids do, though. No, but, I mean, it's like, I don't... He did, he, there was parts with his son that the, his son felt very disconnected and, you know. But he's sort of saying, like, this is life. And yeah. I love the moment when um, he's... Uh, the the sister, the daughter slash sister is pregnant, and he's like, "Oh, a little gremlin in there." Oh. Just like the cyclical nature yeah. of all of this, like in the last couple panels, just very good. Uh, hard like stop having gremlins. I mean, people are going to keep getting. That's Alzheimer's. the thing. You fuck a gremlin, you're going to have a gremlin. Oh. That's true. That's yeah. true. That's and, the main takeaway. I find that insulting because I'm married to a gremlin. Oh. And oh, I have well, two gremlin children. Yeah, yeah but you had a sh- beautiful wedding. By Thank, the way. You. <laughs> oh, <my laughs> Thank you. We had it in the underworld where she's from. Anyway, great, great. Issue definitely pick this up. Even if you haven't been reading the title, you could just jump right in. You pick this one. Any one of these issues, pick it up. You won't have any. Be devastated. Idea. Have a good time. You and could just lay down and have a nightmare of this story. <laughs> Next one: DC Comics Amethyst Number One Story and Art by Amy Reader. This is picking up on the continuity of Amethyst, Princess of the Gem World. Gems. Uh, she was Gems truly in, outrageous. It, what, no. Was was it Teen Titans or Young Justice? Whatever the the Bendis title that he did. They're a fucking thing he did. <laughs> oh, my God. Anything with those kids. really turned into an old man. Can't keep up with Here's the kids. thing. She's on a lot of budget. I wish she would get off. Uh, <laughs> so she's the princess of the gem world. She heads back to the gem world. Things are not right. And she goes exploring. I, I thought this was a fun romp. The, the art on this was really fantastic. Uh, the art is fun. Uh, I also like the, Amy Reader does a good job of adding sort of a more under Underpinning uh, darkness, like uh, politics that you didn't see coming in this story. It feels like almost like an action figure based uh, story. Like, oh, this girl gets to go play in this fantasy world. And in fact, it's, there's something amiss, something dark underneath. And I feel like it's not going to be just a classic supervillain versus hero story. I definitely agree. All right. Uh, at this point, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Hey, Alex here. Remember that feeling when you'd subscribe to comics, get one in the mail, and it felt like you were receiving solid gold? Well, what if you could get that feeling, but with actual gold? Thanks to this week's sponsor, Acre, you can. Acre is the new subscription platform for gold. Acre lets you make small monthly payments and then sends gold straight to your doorstep every few months. You subscribe to comics, right? Uh, And maybe someday you'll sell them if the paper doesn't dissolve and the staples don't fall out. It's expensive, unlike Acre, which is affordable. You don't have to pay out of your pocket all at once. It's convenient. Just set up the subscription and forget about it, and you will get, no joke, physical gold bars mailed to your doorstep. Acre branded gold is of the highest quality, designed in California and minted in Switzerland, my favorite state and favorite country, respectively. It's safe and simple with gorgeous packaging and excellent customer service. And here's how it works. You subscribe for just $50 a month. That's right. No need to break the bank. Start buying gold for just $50 a month. And there's even a $30 per month option even less breaking of the bank. Then you watch your gold grow. It's like watching that stack of unread comics grow dangerously next to your bed. Except guess what? Acre will keep you updated on your gold stash as you make progress. And once your gold stash reaches the price of 2.5 grams Acre gold bar, they will discreetly ship you 
your gold. Most of all, you're in control. You can easily cancel or modify your plan to suit your needs at any time. No epic crossovers where you have to buy all the issues. Just gold, gold, gold. Find out more by going to the link in our show notes and start your Acre Gold subscription today. All right, we're back with hey, Valiant. Wait, wait, hey, why? why we took this break, I want to just say something. With the whole uh, uh, Ice Cream Man thing, something that occurred to me after we finished talking about it, is sometimes it does include ice cream in the comic and then sometimes doesn't address ice cream at all. Does that like, bother you? It does bother me because mm-hmm. I'm like, well, is, does this have something to do with it or it doesn't? Um. I like the over the entire review of Amethyst. You were thinking about ice cream. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I like that it's sometimes ice cream because that's yeah. what life is. Life is sometimes ice cream. I would also argue that there is ice cream in every issue. Just sometimes the ice cream is a little more powerful, or sometimes Whoa. it's melted, okay. or sometimes it's just milk and yeah. sugar. And eggs. It's pre-ice cream. Yeah. Oh, man. Get around to be a custard. So we were going to talk about Valiant Comics Quantum and Woody number 2, written by Chris Hastings and art by Ryan Brown. This is uh, another fun romp going on here. Oh. We really enjoyed the first issue of this. Wait, what? It's a fun romp. It's oh, you're a, agreeing. You yeah, gave it's a, a real f- paid expression there. I he hates like, to agree with you. Oh, okay. It's, uh, there's nothing like a nice fun romp. Uh, writer and the artist having a great time with these characters. This is just a great book. It's exactly what you think it is in such a fun way. So uh, two brothers, Quantum and Woody, they had to clang their bracelets together every 24 hours or they completely dissipate into the air. And they don't get along. Yeah. And this issue, they're trying to repair the reputation of superheroes, head to an ice skating rink to take care of a parasitic brain entity called uh, Mr. Toilet, Captain Toilet. Uh, uh, Dr. Toilet. Toilet. Dr. Toilet. Dr. Toilet, thank you. Sorry, he didn't go to four years of toilet medical school. That's right. For nothing. I think yeah. it's a little shout-out to Dr. McNinja, I think. <laughs> because you think Chris, it is? Oh, are all doctors? When you go to the doctors, are you like, are you, sir, a shout-out to Dr. McNinja? Yep. He actually goes to Chris Hastings uh, to get checked up, and Chris is like, please, I'm not a doctor. you got to yeah. stop doing this. Yeah. And honestly, you need to like, and, we, stop eating so much salt. <laughs> and pull up your pants. Oh, damn it. Uh, so, yeah, uh, they encounter this parasitic entity. They also encounter a new hero who's much better at it than they are. Super, super fun. Uh, yeah, I love the uh, Dr. Toilet as a villain, the way uh, it's drawn and sort of acts the entire time. Eventually takes a bunch of zoo animals under his thrall. Very fun. As yeah. you would. Uh, definitely pick this up if you're looking for a fun, funny comic book. Uh, next one up from Marvel Comics, Fantastic Four, Grim Noir, number one. Some storytellers on this book are Ron Garney and Jerry Dugan. This is a one-shot involving The Thing, uh, dealing with some nightmares that he's having. Uh, particularly, I think this is a great showcase for Ron Garney's art. It, this was so well done, I yeah, thought. Uh, it was almost frustrating that it was only a one-shot because it kind of leaves you hanging a little bit. Uh, yeah, and, uh, but the art is such, like the paneling, the whole thing is just amazing storytelling and kind of a crazy dreamlike state. I really like when Ben Grimm gets to go do his own thing. I feel like in a lot of Fantastic Four stories, his plots are all about how he's like pissed off that he's the thing or uh, frustrated because of his wedding gets interrupted by a fight, things like that. And it's great to see him just get out, do something else. We get to, in his head. 
Um, and this is like sad. It seems like he's it's him dealing with his own despair, but it was really just well told and truly beautifully drawn. Yeah, I didn't know what to expect going in here. I thought it would be another one of the noir line where it was like very 1920s. And there was definitely a sense of that. Like there's a little bit of the detective language that comes trench in there. Coat. Trench coat. Trench um, coat. But it hits it in such a fun way. It felt like a lost comic book from the 80s to me. Ooh, Ooh, interesting. Okay. A good lost comic from the 80s. Uh, yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I just, meant that as a comic. All right. A purposefully lost, like right. a thrown away like, comic. Yeah, 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 something like yeah. that. Yeah, I want that. No, it's great. Yeah. Definitely pick it up. Uh, next one we're going to talk about from IDW Comics, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Jenica, number Woo-hoo! one. This has two stories in it. First one, The Cure for You, story art and letters by Brom Revel, and then Time and Again, story and colors by Rana Pattinson and art by Jody uh, Nishijima. Uh, so... If you don't know, which I didn't really know. Me neither. Pete, you're our TMNT guy. That's right. You're a man on the street when it comes to TMNT. You're a man under the street, really. What's the deal with Jenica, Pete? Well, uh, as you guys all know, there was a huge mutant explosion that happened. And, you know, all these people became mutants. Like, we've all wanted to actually have happen Uh in our real lives. Now, if that happened in New York City, would you be like, and you weren't there? I would be so... If I was like... Out, outside of the city, like visiting family or something, and like a huge mutant bomb, and people got to turn into these giant... Turned into animals. Yeah. And some if people you, turned into Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and I wasn't one of them. What if you oh. got to be... What if you ended up being like an animal you didn't want to be? Well, I don't know, man. Like, I don't know, like, like a zebra. Like if Alex and I became turtles and you were like a zebra. <laughs> <laughs> it would be... It depends. Like... You know, the horse that we got to see in this, uh, you know, issue was a badass-looking horse. If I was a badass zebra, I mean, like, Rocksteady and Bebop, right, pretty well, badass What's, looking. like, a bad animal? Cockroach? Yeah. Yeah, that would suck. Yeah. I will say, if you ever walk through the city with Pete, he'll throw himself in every puddle just in case. Oh, man. Oh, that's a, yeah. I've, I've talked Find about this lose. before. You have. Like, uh, I alarmingly almo- so. I've al- I almost did that. You almost drank some <laughs> random street ooze because yeah. it looks green. It uh, was green. Green, normally something that would say, don't drink me. Yeah. And right. you're like, hey, it could be poison ooze. <laughs> it could It'll be. Turn me could in. be poison. There's a 33% chance uh could be ooze. 33% chance it's Mountain Dew. Oh, <laughs> 33% man. chance I die. Good odds. I like those odds. So, Jenica, since uh, I assume you don't actually know uh, what happened with her, it was a whole She-Hulk type situation where she got a blood transfusion from one of the turtles, turned into a turtle herself. I honestly don't know what's going on with the whole mutant animal town, yeah. uh, but that's the deal with her. So as you see in the flashbacks in the second story and a little bit throughout the first story, she used to be a human, knew the turtles anyway. Now she's a turtle herself. She is officially the fifth turtle. Yep. Okay. There she's you go. another teenager in Ninja Turtles. Is she a teenage? Uh, well, she's, uh, you know. Are, yeah. the, are the turtles themselves still teenagers? Not at this point, no. Yeah. The 30-something mutant ninja turtles? <laughs> wow, They're that should be addressed. Millennia, millennial mutant ninja turtles. Yeah. Are well, they still I mean, ninjas? You know, you know how it works. Like, time is a little funny in comics. It is funny. Yeah. And yeah. real life. It's very funny. It's very funny. Very funny. funny. <laughs> yes. Very funny. Uh, I thought this was a beautiful issue. I really like this as well. The yeah. Mutant Town storyline, I think, is a fun way uh, to explore the TMNT universe. Um, and uh, I thought this whole thing was great. 
I really like the coloring in particular. Yeah, sort of the, washed out yes, a little bit colors. Yeah. It was. Uh, the flashbacks all kind of being one color, very solid. It gave a nice uh, delineation between what was happening in the past and the present. Uh, really good stories. Overall. And that's why I don't get into mosh pits. You know what I mean? You go oh, run yeah. into somebody you have a past with, and you got to stay out of that. Yeah, stay that, out of the mosh pit. Yeah. What if you took the, you ate the ooze and you just became a regular turtle? <laughs> I don't know. Still win. Still win? <laughs> yeah. Still win. <laughs> I'll tell you what. I used to own a turtle. They got a lot of algae on their shells. Yeah. And you got to clean it off. Yeah, it's you no got to clean it off. We'd scrub you. Don't be an asshole. We'd yeah, scrub, scrub you. you. And yeah. we would tape little nunchucks to your hands. <laughs> <laughs> Just because I know that make you, even if you couldn't swing them. Oh, no. I would learn. No, right. I don't think so. Yep. That's not how turtles work. Well, or most animals. All right. I'd let's move first. on with DC Comics. You're the villain. Hell Arisen, number three, written by James Tyner IV and art by Steve Epting and Aviar uh, Fernandez. Uh, we haven't been really keeping up with this one, right? Uh, well, let me say, I have been keeping up with this a bit, and I... We, I've said a lot on this. It's on the, our podcast. It's crazy what's going on in the DC universe with all the different events. Yeah. Um, so many events, man. With all the, the you're the villain stuff with Lex Luthor and Pandora and all that. Then you have the Batman who laughs is off to the other side doing stuff. Leviathan all over that. This comic book does yeoman's work combining <laughs> the Lex Luthor shit with the Batman who laughs stuff. Yeah. And at one point in this, when there's a big lot of scenes with Joker and Lex Luthor, Joker's like, Yo, our characters don't do well in stories like this. It's too big. <laughs> yeah. And I love James Tynan is like calling out how crazy shit is. And it feels like a roller coaster that's just about to come off the rails. But I think this is doing a good job of bringing it together. Totally agree. And Lex Luthor being, you know, that Lex Luthor is like, no, come on. You're not going to do You're just going to go back and just kill people. That's yeah. all you're going to do. And Joker's like, that's what I like. That's yeah. where I'm happy. Yeah, don't tell me what, what I like doing. Yeah, I really like this a lot, and I think a lot of that does have to do with not just the art, which is very good, but James Tynan having such a good grasp yeah. on the DC Comics characters across the board. There's uh, another great line about Lex where he's like, your plans are always too big because you just like making plans, and you always lose because of something simple. Another great assessment of Lex Luthor. Uh, I also just like the way the Joker just kind of made an entrance. You know, he just kind of like stumbled in. He was just like, ooh, do I have the right room? Like, just such great Joker stuff. And to see him interacting with Lex Luthor was so creepy in such a way that I, I, I was just, it's, a, this seems so crazy with all the shit going on, but there are really nice moments in, in between all the Commissioner Gordon, bad guy. Yeah. That hurts. I don't like that. Um, I'm fine with it. It'll never correct itself. All right, let's move on. Talk about Sex Criminals number twenty-seven from Image of Comics. You want to move on? This is by oh, come on, uh, by Matt Fraction and Chip Zdarsky. We are getting close to the end here with Sex Criminals. Things are starting to wrap up and get to the ultimate confrontation. Uh, as usual, another great issue. They keep slabbing their own issue in the letters page. They're like, oh, here's where you go. I know it. I tell you what. plot. And I'm like, calm down, guys. This is good stuff. It makes me enjoy it. It does feel like reading the back matter for the last two issues where Matt Fraction's like, I stopped liking writing this book, and then I decided to do it again. I'm like, oh, man. Yeah. It makes it feel, and I don't know if that's influencing my read of it. It makes me feel like it's a little, like, uh, stressed, the text and stuff. Um, but I am excited. It feels like I like all their exchanges, like the scene at the top of this issue where they're drawing on each other. I thought was really cool. Um, 
but I still don't know quite where the story's going. That kind of stuff can really affect you. Like the last season of Arrow, I knew uh, the main yeah, character didn't like. We don't have time for this. He didn't want to do it. So it, yeah. I was having fun in the season, and then I found that out, and it really ruined it for me. Yeah. So I can totally see you if you're having I'm sorry, fun. I'm sorry. I just had a quick question. Who's the main character in Arrow? Just so I could kind of like picture <laughs> this. Arrow. So he's an arrow, like a talking oh my God, arrow. I hate you. But I'm just going to say, Clippy. Does he walk on the feathers? Like the feathers, yeah. those are kind of like his yeah. feet. Ooh, like Sorcerer's Apprentice. Yes, exactly. Very but cute. But I'm just saying. This is a cute show you're watching. We should have talked about this more. Sometimes don't fucking share things that can pull people out of stories, is my point. Yeah. I, I don't think they're. I think they're being self effacing, right? Like they're making excuses for it, but. Uh, the content of the issue, still beautifully drawn art, uh, very powerful emotional stuff. But the, the connection between the two main characters, which is clearly the thing that they want to write about the most and have been yes. very upfront about, works so well. And is so funny and sweet and sad and clearly headed towards tragedy. Um, it's good. This is a good book. Not for kids. Uh, next one <laughs> to talk about Forceworks 2020 number one from Marvel Comics written by Matthew Rosenberg and art by uh, Juanan Ramirez. Uh, this is something that Matthew teased on our live show a couple he of did. weeks back. So you can listen back to that live show if you want. Uh, this is a bunch of characters in the Marvel Universe fighting cyborgs and robots. That's yeah. the concept. Uh, great. Like team books are hard, especially when the characters you have to really introduce them. It's not like writing a main Avengers book where it's like Captain America. Don't need to hear a lot about him. Like this, you need a little bit of context about who they are, what their relationship with uh, with each other is, and the rest of the the superhero world. And uh, Matt does a good job of laying that out really efficiently and uh, yeah. just plowing through this great action sequence. I really like Rhodey in this. Thought it was well yeah. done. He really nailed that voice. Yeah, I think he, he's always so good about uh, grasping these weird side characters, Mockingbird, uh, not weird, but like... Yeah, how dare you call it Mockingbird? Really weird. fucking strange. Mockingbird? What's that? <laughs> what is a Mockingbird? Yeah, it's like a regular bird with she a sense make, of humor. Uh, that's right. Uh, no, but it's sort of like these off-kilter characters. It feels very 90s, which is what it's yeah. supposed to feel like. That's uh, when Force Works came about, I exactly. think. Exactly. Or 2000s or something Was like that. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, it's a fun book. Uh, it's exactly what it needs to be, and he nails the tone just right. Next one to talk about from Dark Horse Comics, Tomorrow, number one, written by Peter Milligan and art by uh, Jesus Hervés. Maybe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There we go. Uh, this is a really upsetting book to read right now. <laughs> <laughs> why? Why do you say? Oh, it is about a uh, insane viral outbreak and huh. uh, people barely surviving it. Well, but this one's about a, a computer virus that jumps into um, the humans. Yes. So that's not what other virus sure. or the coronavirus, which is maybe going to devastate our planet, our right. real world. <laughs> but that's just a regular virus. Right. That just jumps from corona to corona. And you exactly. So stay out of change. Don't change your whole latitude. And don't watch Fast and Furious movies. <laughs> oh, wait. What's happening? We can't drink Coronas anymore? No, yeah. we can drink Coronas. Oh, that was a you. very poor taste joke that I Vin Diesel made. is patient zero for the coronavirus. <laughs> oh That's the plot of Bloodshot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he is the Corona light virus. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, but this uh, is dealing with a viral outbreak. There's a couple of people, of course, in different parts of the globe who are caught in the middle of it. There seems to be some sort of psychic connection between two of the characters. Uh, as usual with a Peter Milligan book, I just think the characters yeah. are immediately very well laid out and very clear. The character and detail work on this story are great. 
And uh, it's a nice, a well laid out world. I love that he does like a full page sort of like, here's what the story you're about to read is, uh, yeah. which no one really does in that way. P. Yeah. Mills is nice like that. Yeah, P. Yeah. Mills. P. Mills. Uh, great, great stuff. Yeah, definitely pick this up. Uh, yep. But be warned, it's very fraught with current events. Last one to talk about, as we all know, when you're eating a sandwich, you start with the top bread, work your way down for the, the top, top donut. Sure, or the That's top true. donut. You are pushing you, the idea you, that donut can be bread in all yeah. sandwiches. Uh, yeah. Then the toppings, and then you eat the meat, and then you get to the bottom piece of bread. That's where we are now. Let's talk about X Men number seven. Donut. Or the bottom donut. Of course. And this is a real donut of a comic. Yes. Uh, Marvel, written by Jonathan Hickman, art by Laniel Yu. This is X-Men number seven. In this issue, as mentioned, we finally get payoff on something that was teased way back a while ago, which is what is Crucible? We find out what Crucible is in this issue. Most of the issue is spent with Scott Summers wandering around talking to people concerned about the idea of Crucible. He has conversations with Wolverine, as we talked about. He has a big, long conversation with Nightcrawler about religion as they go through the Crucible. And spoiler, but it turns out that Crucible is for uh, mutants who are robbed of their powers by the No More Mutants Wanda thing. They have a chance to get it back, but they have to stand up and fight Apocalypse first, die in order to come back, basically prove themselves. What the fuck, man? No, I thought this was great. Wait, Uh, you think it's great that you have to fight Apocalypse and then when you die, you get to be reborn? Because they're they're saying, I mean, they lay this out. There's a a lot of... Got it laid out. For no, me. I know, but there's a lot of religious uh, undertones and, and in the overtones. audience in the book were also on my side when they were screaming and upset with what was happening. Right, it's upsetting to watch their friend and in some cases daughter right. die uh, exactly. in front of them. But that's traumatizing. But it's for the good. It's her choice. She wants to get her powers back. It's about belief. It's about ritual. Like I thought, this was. It's also about a creepy tuning fork church that not even Wolverine can get into. The Nightcrawler, the island created a uh, a perfect home for Nightcrawler, and he's nervous to go there. I think that's another religious analogy. He's nervous to go into this shrine, this temple that he hasn't been able to come to grips with because he's still faithful to well, his his faith from the regular world. And now there's moving into this sort of more mutant centric faith and belief system, and he about- has to. What about all this the new Krakoa bullshit that all these mutants are getting on board with? But the but deeper we get into it, this is this is all, what I was going to say. The deeper we get into it, the more <laughs> fucked up we find out it is. Because it's more questioning why the fuck are we doing all this shit? That's they're, what they're doing. That's what the entire issue is about. This is the reason that I really like this issue. Is we've been talking about this cult of X thing that uh, it feels like is going on, and this issue is all about: Are we doing the right thing? Are we going too far with this? This feels wrong. What's wrong with this? What else can we do? What other choices do we have? What's also upsetting is Cyclops is the fucking voice of reason, and he's never the voice of reason. That guy's he's a piece of shit. He's always the voice of reason. Fuck his Cyclops. literal thing is being the voice of reason. Yeah, no, that's basically horrible. his horrible. only it's defining horrible. characteristic. So, ooh, but you love him now is what I'm you getting. You love no, Cyclops. I'm upset oh that I'm on the cy- side of Cyclops. The, the can't cy- even say Cyclops. You're Cyclops. You're Cyclops. But... This is fucked up that they're just murdering people in front of everybody. Some are cheering, some are burning. So here's the thing that they bring up. And I, to be clear, I don't, it makes me very uncomfortable and I don't agree with it. Like in theory, like if I was in that society, I think I'd be like, I'm not on board with this crucible. But the way that they explain it is a million mutants lost their powers. We can bring mutants back. 
if a billion mutants were like, let's all kill oh, do our... it once. Yeah, I know. I read the right. fucking what comic. Do we, well, but what do we do? Like, what are our other options? And this is the option they come up with. And the entire a issue Fight is, Club is their option. They create a ritual. Take around a fucking it. number, man, and, and right. Do they it. take a ritual to say this is a nearly insurmountable thing to prove that this is what you actually want, not that this is a crutch you're falling back on. Yeah. That's the explanation they give. Whether it's right or not, I think it's a really fascinating discussion that they have. And I mean, the larger context here is the the mutants uh, on Krakoa are now forming a culture from zero. Like, they've li- been living in the rest of the world where they are hunted, hated, and feared, living um, as humans, like, in disguise, many of them their entire lives. And yep. I think what Jonathan Hickman is doing with a lot of these X-Men books is he's saying they now have their own land. They have their own... They ha- are with each other. They're like, what does that mean for them? Are they going to create their own religion? Are they going to create... Their, what, are they, what is their society? What is their culture? What are these rituals that they're creating that give it this moment value for them and allow a mutant to regain her identity which was taken because of uh, a mistake that that the Scarlet Witch made. And the other thing, uh, one thing that I will say that I didn't mind with the ritual was it felt pretty clear to me if at any point she said, no, this is not what I'm going to do, they would just let her go. Yeah, but they didn't make that clear. No, but I, I think, like, that's why Apocalypse kept asking her. It was a very clear, like... You cool? Yeah, he kept checking in with her, like he he was uh, he was very considerate of her consent. Yeah, and then sure. after she dies and comes back, she gets to fly around and she's like naked in front of all of her friends. <laughs> yeah, that yeah. was weird. Which is real cool. That's no, how it's not cool. That's yeah. not cool. Man. Oh, but we close. should also say Pete was born with cargo shorts and a t-shirt on. <laughs> <laughs> He's it, never naked. It was a t-shirt that was a tuxedo. I'm classier than uh, that. Cool, yeah. cool. Cargo shorts and a t- tuxedo. I He's the fanciest car- man on our cruise. Right Guys, now. pockets are important. Yeah. I thought this issue was great. I really liked it a lot. I completely disagree with you. I loved a good Nightcrawler conversation. We're going down this creepy-ass fucking rabbit hole that Hickman's got going on, and it's making me uncomfortable. If you don't like it, you can tap out at any time, Pete. That's not true, and you know that. Any fucking time. I got a giant sword. All right, here we go. This is me. Here comes the crucible. No, you have to keep reading this. I'm sorry. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, that's what I thought. I can't tell if I was tapping out or pretending to be a horse for an old-timey radio show. (laughs) Oh, he's being a zebra. Because he is a zebra. Well, it all came together the whole time. It all came together right here at the end. If you'd like to support the show, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. at the People's Improv. Theater Loft in New York. Come on by and we will talk to you about comic books. Pete, what do you want to plug? Hey, friend us on Facebook so you get to know about the amazing guests we have on our live show. Hey, uh, follow us on Twitter at Comic Book Live. Hey, check us out at ComicBookClubLive.com for this podcast and more. You can subscribe and listen on iTunes, Android, Spotify, Stitcher. And those are the only apps. You have no other choices. <laughs> right, Pete? I got you. Uh, yeah. You thought I was going to say something else. And we'll see you at the comic book shop. Remember, start eating your dinners earlier, like four. Yeah, otherwise (laughs) Pete's going to get your prudes. (laughs) 